Let's go. You're listening to KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Yay area on 90.1 and across the world at KZSU.org. Welcome to Brands, Beats, and Bites, hosted by Daryl D.C. Cobbin and Larry Taman. Brands, Beats, and Bites stands at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture. We bring you interesting people and insightful points of view on what's popping and not popping in marketing, tech, culture, and beyond. DC and Larry are fascinated with the stories and people behind some of the best marketing in the business. No matter how dope your product, if your marketing sucks, your company may suck too. They both serve as managing partners at marketing consultancy Brand Positioning Doctors, where they help companies large and small, tech and non-tech, build better marketers so they can build great brands. What's good, brand nerds? Back at you with another Brands Beats and Bites podcast. And I'm smiling. I don't know if y'all can hear the smile through this uh, microphone, but, I, but I, I am smiling. And the reason why I'm smiling is because today, y'all, we get to talk to an old friend of mine. We used to work together back in this big building with a big red sign on it. Larry will talk about that later. Um, it's November. It's November of 2021. Uh, Jeff and Jay, they don't like me to date these things, but I got I to gotta note this. The year is almost over. Holidays are here, and there are more holidays coming. And um, we have someone that I believe you all are going to leave this discussion going, hmm, that sister had some jewels to drop, and I'm glad I, I listened to pick them up. So with that, LT, who do we have in the building? Oh, DC, we're very excited to welcome Irma Srivastava to our virtual house today. Welcome, Irma. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I think I got the pronunciation right, did I? You got it spot on. All right, all right. So Irma, we got it, you know, on our on our podcast here, we got to give our guests our props. And and uh, at the same time, it's really done for our for our brand nerds out there to learn who is speaking. So I'm going to give you the introduction that you so deserve. So with that, okay, hold, 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 hold on, Larry. I just got to ask Irma something real quick. I'm sorry to stop, break your flow, Larry. Irma, good. are you ready for your flowers? Are you ready for your flowers? Because you, you're about to get your flowers right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm preparing myself. Thank you. Okay. Ready or okay. not, Irma. So here we go. Irma graduated right, from, from UVA, from University of Virginia, where she earned a Bachelor of Degree in Commerce with distinction, I might add. And after graduation, Irma joined A.T. Carney as a consultant. She worked there gaining really great, valuable experience in seeing how the business world works and then went back to grad school at the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School where she earned, earned an MBA in marketing. So after graduating, Irma joins, as DC alluded to, the Coca-Cola company at HQ on North Avenue in Atlanta where she works as a marketer for first in what is known on North Avenue as the bottle can division on a variety of brands. And then also works in, uh, in what we call in, uh, in, at Coca-Cola, the fountain division and food service and numerous key marketing positions, all as she continues to move up the ladder with her last three major roles being head of marketing for Adwala, then special project managing director for social commitment. That's regarding sweeteners, by the way, sounds fancy and everything, but it's regarding sweeteners. And finally, she's the VP of US marketing for the McDonald's division, which is a huge deal. 
at, at Coke. So now clearly Irma's making huge impact at Coca-Cola. And after 18 years, she is feeling maybe now it's time to make a real pivot in her life and go deploy her vast skills and acumen with a nonprofit. So she joins the American Cancer Society first as VP of Corporate Alliances and is quickly promoted to SVP of Marketing Alliances, where DC, check this out. Irma and her team generate a 27% revenue growth year over year, and then 68% growth on top of the 27%. Kick and butt. Ooh. Yeah. So after that success, Irma gets a great opportunity to join HR company Roundstad USA as chief marketing and communications offer, where smack in the midst of the pandemic, she transforms the marketing communications and digital product development organization to create an integrated marketing organization, achieving an all-time high engagement score and with new digital product innovation grows revenue 12%. Um, and so at, she's through the pandemic. And at that point, uh, she takes a, 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 a situation that, and this is earlier this year, right, Irma, in 2021, where she then decides she's going to make a change in her life and go be a consultant similar to what we have done. So before we finish, mm -hmm. before we finish with Irma, lastly, as someone whose full-time gig was with the National Cancer Society, there's no surprise Irma is actively involved as executive board of directors with the Children's Museum Atlanta, member of the board of trustees at the Lovett School, founding member of the Hindu Heritage Association, member of the Georgia chapter of the International Women's Forum, and board member of 48 and 48, an organization Jeff Hillemeyer, a great guest earlier this year, and it, you brand nurse can go back. That's album three, track two. Jeff was amazing. Uh, that but, Jeff started where marketing professionals help nonprofits elevate their websites and other digital materials. So with all that, welcome to Brands, Beats and Bites, Irma Srivastava. Oh, thank you so much. You were right, DC, man. It just, uh, your heart overflows when you hear it all. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, LT. I really appreciate uh, that. Oh, you. Oh, yeah. So um, I'm not planning on leaving this planet anytime soon, but it's not up to me. It's up to my God uh, when I leave. Uh, that's my belief. Uh, but when I do go, I want Larry to lay down a bit of the obit. Okay. <laughs> I want him to lay it down, Irma, because he, he does, Larry, you do such a great job. You do such a great job. All right. So, Irma, um, in the next section, we, we call this Get Comfy. But as Larry and I were thinking about this section, um, uh, I want to bring a, a subject up to you that um, may not necessarily be comfortable, but that I'd like you to share some things on it because you have a unique perspective. So here you are, you're at Coke, you're rising up through the ranks, you become a senior executive at Coca-Cola. And how long were you there, uh, Irma? They're almost 18 years. Almost 18 years. So that's a long time. That's amazing. Then you hit, you hit the C-suite at a, uh, American Cancer Society and the same thing at Ronstadt. Very few in the marketing pr profession get to the C-suite. It's like a pyramid. The further up you get, the smaller it becomes, the more narrow it becomes in terms of seats. And you have been in several of those seats, Arma. Now, for those of you all who cannot see Irma, uh, Irma's a sister. Uh, so she, she's, a, uh, she's a brown sister. And um, when we talk about brown sisters and brothers, 
black or brown sisters and brothers, the first things that come to mind in America, not outside of America, uh, but in America is, okay, are they black, African-American, or are they Latina or Latino? Though that's typically what comes to mind when we start thinking about black and brown, right? Here you are a brown sister matriculating through these different companies. You're not African-American, you're not Latina, but you're definitely a sister. What's that been like for you over the course of your career, Irma? Wow, you're starting the heavy, huh? <laughs> Right into it. Yeah. Um, supposed to be get comfortable, man. Like, I, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I just want to know what that's been like for you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. So I'm, um, you know, the the child of immigrant parents, and um, my father was an entrepreneur. My mother was a librarian. So there is an element of this corporate machine that we all are familiar with that was highly unfamiliar um, to me. Um, what I knew is, is you go in, you do great work, and you get recognized for that great work. Mm -hmm. Along the way, you realize it's, that's not really what it's all about. Um, and you sort of, you know, you, you figure things out um, along the way. I don't think the idea of being different was necessarily something that I was conscious of um, going through those um, that journey. Um, however, I think as you um, do, or as I elevated in my career, it became more apparent to me. And, and what I mean by that is because the networks that were more naturally created or the conversations to have either with senior people in the organization or even with peers or cross-functionally, especially once I was in the C-suite and then seeking to build across the organization, um, maybe didn't come as easily to me. I didn't um, have that kind of um, famili familiarity compared to some of my colleagues whose parents have been, you know, C-suite executives themselves. And, and so that story is not that different, I'd say, across cultures, regardless of if um, you're Latina or African-American. However, um, what I have found most recently, you know, coming out of the Asian-American um, challenges that have happened in the U.S. earlier this year, yeah. that the group of marketers that we've come together from across the country to say, this isn't right. And there's mm -hmm. a voice that marketers can lend to making our voice heard. So mm -hmm. what that OPI, that Asian American Pacific Islander voice really stand for? So mm -hmm. I'm privileged to be connecting with more marketers across companies all across the country so that we can be a network for each other as well as for those who are coming after us. Um, so we're learning, I think, from more established groups that are, um, you know, brown of how they've more, they've, they're more advanced in what that involves. And so we're at the early stages 
of getting to know each other because it is, it's something new. And um, we're housing ourselves as part of the ANA and as one of the initiatives with um, that work that's being done, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to be lending that voice so that that question that you asked is somewhat, you know, I, ideally irrelevant years from now, but, um, mm -hmm. but it is still relevant. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Irma, for um, answering this in the way that you did and, um, and being authentic in doing so. You mentioned um, earlier uh, your parents, uh, a entrepreneur and a librarian, and you went into the corporate world believing that if you worked hard and you got great results that all would work out. And then you discovered it, it's not quite like that. I wanna use an analog and then I'm gonna ask a question. I'm watching a documentary now that uh, Larry actually recommended that we watch and it's on Muhammad Ali on PBS with Ken Burns. So I'm down, I'm on, I'm on episode three, it has four and it is exceptional. This is an exceptional documentary. It really is. Around the boxing profession for many decades, there was corruption, politics, et cetera. But once those two men got in the ring, when I would watch Muhammad Ali, I knew that that was pure. Like these, these two gladiators are gonna go, go, go after it from one another. And the best man is going to win. Most of the time, unless the fighter's taking a, taking a fall, but most of the time, these fighters are trying to win, it's pure. Doesn't matter how much politics are going on, doesn't matter who your father or your mother is, none of that matters. All that matters is your skill set and your results and your talent in the ring at that time. Pure. That's what I loved about it. All right. That's not the case in the corporate game. Nope. That's not the case in the corporate game. Politics come into play and have an impact on people and businesses. Mm -hmm. What happened when you made that discovery that it wasn't just about the hard work? What was that like for you, Irma? Great question. Um, I'm trying to think as to when I really realized that. Um, but I think that there's just, you know, I would almost say, if you flip that that thinking to the idea that people and relationships really matter, mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. do all of the marketing, great work and strategic thinking and business mm -hmm. planning and brand consumer research, but it's that idea of engaging people so that they really understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the, the word politics has, makes it negative, but there is an element that there is an art to being able to bring people along. Mm -hmm. Those who are most effective in their leadership are those who can, can do that. And, um, yeah, there's an easier entry point in for some people, either yeah. give backgrounds or their comfort level with it. Yeah. But I guess I almost saw it a bit aspirationally, like, hey, how do I how do I figure this out? What do I need to do? How do I do that? 
And as long as the people that were in those seats were qualified. So there is an element of, mm-hmm. of trust and respect that needs to be in an organization. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, there are fewer boxes as you move forward yep. and mm-hmm. up in an organization. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I wouldn't, you know, I, I, there's an element to me that says, hey, that's the way the world works, but mm-hmm. but not necessarily that that negative side of it, but the the idea of, you know, how do you network? How mm-hmm. do you really develop, um, you know, real relationships with people regardless of title? And, and so some of that I have to start thinking about in a more systematic way because that's sort of the way in which I, I worked. And I would see in awe um, others that were, you know, my peers. So I joined the company with Rohan Oza. And as you know, he is like okay. the personality beyond. And uh, I was just like, how do you do that? Like you can <laughs> CMOs as if they're like your buddies and playing racquetball with SVPs. And we were like literally the ABMs. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Roe Ro- Ro Beast, that's what I call it. Roe Beast hits different. Okay, he hits different, but go ahead. But it's amazing. So there was an element for me of um, really um, aspiration of the connections that um, that you seek to make in an organization that are beyond what's just the work. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Well said. Uh, well, um, Irma, since I, I didn't really honor the get comfy piece because that wasn't necessarily comfortable conversation, but it was it was necessary, necessary. <laughs> we will move on to the next segment. Larry, any, anything before we move to the next segment? No, I, I love I, I think it's really uh, just one quick thing. I think what Irma said is really interesting because I think what she's really saying is, you know, she figured out how to navigate it within who she was and she didn't change who mm-hmm. she was. To, uh, to navigate uh, accordingly at Coca-Cola, which I think many people having, all of us been there, uh, do change who they are. Um, and so that that is also something that I think says a lot for Irma. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'll share this quick story and then we will get to the next segment. When I got to, uh, to North Avenue Coca-Cola, um, there hadn't been a black male person in brand management for years. And I went to uh, uh, HBCU, Clark Atlanta University to get my MBA. So I come in and I'm surrounded by MBAs from Warden and Harvard and Fuqua and, uh, and uh, what's the, uh, what's the one Duke? Duke uh, you said it. Uh, yeah, Fuqua, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. So that, that is uh, and then um, it is anyway. with a four-letter word. I got to get my shot in on them. But go ahead. Yeah, 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 okay. So all of these great schools. Um, and so I thought uh, Irma, Larry already knows this. So 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 does Jeff. I thought, you know what? I need to do it like they do it. This that's what I thought. I need to do it like they do it. Irma, I tried that for about a year, maybe eighteen months. Miserable wasn't doing a good job. And, and then finally I said to myself, I grew up in Detroit, okay? I, uh, I went to all HBCUs, undergrad and grad. Yeah. 
I have a love for music. I fought to be on Sprite. For those reasons, I saw black folks in Sprite advertising. I didn't see them in other brands. And they were in hip hop, even though they were only showing it to black folks. And I said, I'm gonna do this my way. I'm gonna do this my way. And that made all the difference in the world. Yeah. All yeah. the difference in the world. It's legendary around the halls of North Africa. It Africa's. is. Yes, oh. it is. Thank you, Arnold. Thank you. All right, five questions. So here's the way this goes down. Larry and I are going to ask you five questions. We're going to go back and forth. And I have the honor of being um, uh, the person to start this. All right, so Irma, here you are. You're going through this world of branding. You got a career world of branding. And then you just have the human Irma who has experienced brands for quite a bit of, uh, of her life. I'd like you to share with us the first branding experience you had that really had you like into it, goosebumps, so into it, lose track of time. It's the most important thing going on in your life at the time. This brand really like had you fall in love with it. What was that first brand experience for you? Well, I, I, I sort of think about this as when I fell in love with brand marketing. Um, so I was a strategy consultant, as, as Larry mentioned in my bio, and I, I go to business school. And over the summer, I'm at Procter & Gamble. Ah. I get assigned to the healthcare division working on VIX. Okay. So nothing like, oh, my God, love VIX. But I'll tell you what, Vicks Vapo Rub. I know all of you can smell it right now, even when <laughs> oh, I. Oh, absolutely, Irma. Oh, yes. Absolutely, right? Was one of the brands that I was uh, had for the summer. I was like, oh, geez, man, like really? They've got this whole beauty category, and I get like Vicks <laughs> Vapo Rub. I, it was better than Metamucil, I figured. So, <laughs> good point. <laughs> Marginally. <laughs> I, come find out, I come to find out like the challenges on this brand. And again, I'm a strategy consultant at first year out of business school for, um, is there's a seven to 11 year repurchase cycle for this brand because people wow. get it, it sits in their right. medicine oh, and nobody wow. it except for like one little swab when some kid happens to have a cold and then the right. kid about oh it smells and then you know and I was like okay well what are we going to do with this and I'll tell you the the approach around like it was the first time behind the glass and focus right. group. I had looked at all the data but then we did focus groups and being behind the glass and hearing how moms talked about what it meant to them when they were putting that on their child and it and then like and how then we had a group with kids as well and the kids were like oh that smell but but I just know like what came through was unique was that mother's touch yeah positioning mm. that then we developed as a clear point of difference wow the power of mother's touch think about it that's that's no heavy thing in your medicine cabinet that involves wow. them and what can make you feel better 
more than that. And I will tell you from that day forward, I was like, when, I, when we came up with that, that reason to believe that point of difference, I was just like, brand marketing is it. Like, this is where I'm going when I get out of school. Uh... Teaching assistant for marketing 101 in my second year of business school. And I was like smitten. And that's then what led me, ironically, though, when trying to decide coming out of business school to mm -hmm. join Coca-Cola instead of going back to P&G, because I was like, how can you not go to the world's greatest brand? Like if you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but that was the beginning of uh, what's now been a lo long, long relationship. What Woo! a great story. You, you took us there, Irma, you know, like, uh, and, and that's so cool. And I'm, I'm struck by, you know, as you were talking, two of the five senses that you don't really, uh, interact a lot with with brands are touch and smell and those yeah. are the leading you know of the five senses that you guys really tapped into so i think that's that's so awesome the way you describe that yeah it, it really is all right now peep game brand nerds pay attention to this vix vapor rub and vix uh when you think of the smell just the smell that can be, ooh, that's bad. I, ooh, I don't want to smell that. That's the product. What Irma and the, and the very ooh, smart ooh. folks over at Procter & Gamble figured out, yeah, yeah. But the mother's touch is the brand. That's right. That's the brand. That's the brand. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Cool. Uh, LT, uh, any more? You want to go to the next one? No, let's go to the next one. So Irma, second question, who is Hatter having the most influence on your career? Um, so, you know, similar to, you know, I've had the pleasure to work with so many great marketing minds. Um, Allison Lewis, uh, Bill Leslie, or a couple of people that uh, I still maintain close connection with, but some of the bosses I had, Jim Dinkins, Carl Sweat, Bill Kelly, even our friend Mike Glennon along the way. But when I really think about this question, um, it's hold on, Irma. I just, I'm sorry, I got to say this. Okay, just for the record, Carl Sweat is not a good boss. Okay, he's not a good Carl Sweat. This dude, he gets mad, his head sweats. Okay, so I just want to say that I love you, Carl. I'm just messing with you, brother. I'm just messing with you. Okay, go, go, go ahead, Irma. <laughs> he's a bright guy, man. He kept he is, you. Yeah on your toes um um but the, the greatest influence is um is my husband so i don't think dc you um got to meet him at coca-cola but manish oh. he's um cmo for pulte group and so we met through png uh, that uh, at that time that we were just talking about and um my luck have it we ended up together and but over the course of our relationship, you know, we've been the yin and yang in regards to, you know, his high EQ, my high executive function, like we can play, you know, and mm. challenge each other, but bring out the, the best in each other when we think about world-class marketing, um, building world-class marketing organizations, our passion for the consumer, 
And then as it's all evolved so much, but you know, it, it, um, it makes for some, you know, interesting dinner table conversations sometimes and uh, uh, around, you know, what's happening and, uh, you know, the things that, that we see going on. But um, when we're watching TV with our kids, they'll be like, I don't, what, what, what's the brand benefit that they were trying to talk about? That makes me, <laughs> um, but, but it's, it's really, um, he is, is, is such an important partner in crime. And I think that, you know, everyone needs that good sounding board. I happen to have him, you know, here at home, but if it's in a different, you know, through a friend or mentor, but uh, that's definitely, you know, the right, the, the right call for me. Wow. D, I'm struck with, shout out to, to Manish, like, I'm struck also with it. It sounds like the way you describe that, Irma, you guys have made each other better marketers, right? Because yeah, it sounds like your strengths are complementary. Yeah, as, and, and leaders within the organizations, we sort of laugh. We're like, our companies are getting like a two-for-one deal. They are. <laughs> yeah. They totally are. Yeah, that's, that's nice. That's great. So two, two things. Uh, first, uh, I can imagine that... Uh, because you all are both in marketing and you both are senior level executives in marketing. I've heard some folks say, you know, when I get home and try to talk to my significant other, they don't really understand what I have to deal with. That's not the case in your house. No. You, you, you all know exactly what the other one is dealing with. And then the second thing is uh, uh, you shouted out Manish. Thank you for that. Can you shout out your children as well? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Ronnie and Rohan are amazing. Um, she's a junior in high school. He's a freshman in high school. So they're definitely um, bright, proud to, to see the, the fine young woman and man that they are each becoming. Very cool. Cool. All right, uh, Larry, shall I go to the next question, brother? Please do. All right, so now Irma, I've already noticed a trend here and the trend that I've noticed in your answers and in the conversation here is that you like to look to the brighter side of things. You, <laughs> you, you want to find the positive in things and I think that's wonderful. But I'm gonna ask you with, with this question is that uh, I'm not so interested in the flowery positive, not that you have been flowery, okay? I want, I want a straight up no chaser, all right? So I'd like to know your biggest F up and what you learn from it. You can do whatever you want to do on the what you learn from the piece, but but I gotta have a F up, a straight up F up. Yeah. A, a big, a big one. <laughs> well, and, and this one was, you know, when you have to try to think of something, but in the space of brand positioning, I thought that there was one that came out clearly. Um, this was when I was in this role focused on sweeteners. Um, and okay. it was it was a unique role. It was this uh, leadership role around social commitment that the Coca-Cola mm. company, uh, you know, as you know, was grappling with and, and in many ways still does, mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as seen as the cause or instigator of obesity. And so I was a leader in this space and um, we or I should say, I took the, I led this idea of an aspartame campaign. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, 
aspartame is not a brand. Aspartame yeah, yeah. is an ingredient that we use in Diet Coke. And as Diet Coke was seeing this tremendous drop off, we were like, well, it's because we are the face of aspartame. And people, if you went on, uh-huh. every doctor, doctor, you know, the, who knows where or how they were qualified that was saying aspartame was the next, you know, or is poisoning you and right. terrible. And the belief was, is that was the cause of the demise of Diet Coke brand. And the solution was to create a campaign around the ingredient. And I developed, you know, strong positioning statement and all of what you do. And, and now in, in hindsight, I was like, there was no brand benefit like that we were speaking. Ah. We were speaking defensively, like trust us, we're the Coca-Cola company. Would we poison you? You know, like the ads. Ones of efficacy, and and mind you, this was around the time, uh, or not that far after Enron, and there was just disbelief and dis- uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. distrust, context, yeah. context, yeah, yeah, and and so basically, we put together and, and developed this whole campaign that was in some ways strategically sound, but on mm-hmm. the flip side was useless. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you don't create a brand proposition around a defense like there's got to be a benefit that you are helping to solve and that has to then be something that people are drawn to and it was like and i remember going and and there were like you know presenting what felt like a very strong plan and and getting alignment in, in, in the spirit of innovation, heck, we would mm-hmm. try anything. That was the place yeah. that we were in at that time. And then lo and behold, like finally, like, you know, it was, it didn't deliver on our, what our premise was, but what we ended up doing is retrenching around the Diet Coke core proposition. And then, you know, since then the brand has, has had positive results and, you know, really yeah. get on the intrinsics of, and, and the value that, that it provides under the leadership of other, you know, great leaders and at the company. Yep. This is a juicy one. Uh, Larry, any, any thoughts to Irma? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I have a question to Irma. So no, in retrospect, what would you have done differently? I would have stood for what Diet Coke is really about and the, what the brand really stands for and what the band, brand benefits were mm-hmm. that is getting drawn into trying to defend the ingredient the, the, that's part of the brand, right? And um, if that's a core component to being able to deliver what Diet Coke is about, people buy into Diet Coke. If right. you Oh, just go consume aspartame. There's nothing there. It was the beauty of what our brand was about. So I would actually have not even engaged in in what what I led. So D Irma said something real key there. And you know what's interesting? It goes back to New Coke. That the problem with Coke was that oh, it's not as sweet as Pepsi. We got to change the product. 
and and this is some of the best marketers in the world not understanding that it's about the brand not the product you know and actually getting so defensive and and feeling like um you know back on their heels about the product instead of doubling down on understanding what the brand is what's the emotional connection between the brand and consumer and yes product the, the product part's important but it's just a it's a small piece of it i hadn't thought about that like new coke you're so spot on or um of how that approach was you know what's interesting d i don't know if you remember this but the 10 year anniversary, and this was before you were at Coke, Irma. Mm -hmm. And again, rest in peace, Roberto Goizueta did a company wide meeting to, to celebrate the 10 year anniversary of new Coke. And his point was that what we learned from it was that the consumer had such an emotional connection to brand Coca-Cola. And it wasn't about the product. It was the connection with the brand and his and, and, and obviously, this was years later, right? But sometimes those institutions still lose the way. I'm going to get into that yeah. more what's popping later. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, it's about the brand. It's always about the brand, not about the, the ingredients in the product. Yeah. I was in that, that auditorium on the first floor. And yep. uh, before us uh, were... Uh, 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 Roberto Cosueta, rest in power. Uh, I used to call him Big Papa. And because he, he made us feel like uh, he was our father. He did. Uh, surrogate father. Uh, and also Don Keogh, Don Keogh, yeah. um, Chief Operating Officer. So these two dudes, these cats, they were, uh, they, they, they were something special to work, uh, work together. Um, someone asked them the question, either during that session or they, they uh, recounted some interview they had. I can't remember which way it went down. And they said, given that after New Coke was launched and taken away, the share and volume and revenue of Coke Classic, it came back as Coke Classic, started to go off the charts and growth. So it wasn't growing before. Nope. They dropped New Coke. New Coke is a debacle. They take New Coke away. And then what was old Coke now called Coke Classic, Classic Coke is now growing. So they, so the question they say is that, did you all do that on purpose? Was that, that was a that, that was yeah, that, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, and that was that? conspiracy theory by the outside right. world. So go ahead. That was the stunt. To which Don Keogh says, we're not that smart. That's exactly what not, Yeah, we're not that smart and we're not that dumb. Okay, that's all right. Classic answer. That, that, I mean, you can't. You how can you answer a question better than that? That was just better. But uh, going back to your point, though, about uh, aspartame, um, Irma, as you all were building out the uh, the presentations to sell in mm -hmm. everyone on this wonderful strategy, at any point did your instincts tell you, hmm? I'm not sure at any point. I mean, there were times because you were just like, but wait, what, what does success look like? So that people think mm -hmm. aspartame is great. Like, yeah. 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 But, but I was on the train of like, we're saving diet Coke. We're saving diet right. Coke. 
all about. Yeah. Um, like you just could put that aside um, because you could find the data points to be able to support. Oh yes, if people believe better in aspartame, then diet coke will be, you know, sold, you know, be seen positively. But, but to your point, it's it's the love for the brand that yes. you have to focus on and nurture, and that's just a piece of it that uh, that you can't overemphasize actually by drawing attention to it. Mm. All right, so brand nerds, uh, three quick things to point out based on Irma's fantastic story on aspartame. Okay, number one, no matter how much quantitative data you have or qualitative data you have, always trust your instincts. Always trust them. If something is popping up, a niggle in your brain, and it's saying, mm, I'm not quite sure, honor that. Mm -hmm. Give it space. Now, you may end up still going down the same path, but give your instincts the grace and space to talk to you. So that's mm -hmm. one. Number, number two is, uh, Irma, you talked about the negatives of, with aspartame. And, and it, it, it sounded like we, I still consider myself a, a Coke person, we were taking a defensive posture. The greatest brands know that their best defense is a great offense. Yep. So uh, let's talk about Listerine for a moment. They're like, yeah, we know we taste bad. We know it's things. We know you don't like it. But that tells you it's working. Yep. That's how you know it's working. So take a negative and play offense, not defense. And then finally, I'm going to say this. I'm really happy to uh, hear you, Irma, talk about going back to Diet Coke and surrounding the brand around this thing, this ingredient called aspartame. Here's the reason why for, uh, for you brand nerds out there. Segmentation is critical in branding. Diet Coke is unlike any other brand, or at least it was, I know it's still the case, Irma, uh, other than Mountain Dew. There is some, there's a metric in the beverage category that's called three plus a day. So these are the heavy users. If you have a high percentage of three plus a day users, you're good. If you don't have a high uh, percentage of three plus a day users, heavy users, then you got to try some other things. All right. I recall when I was there, Diet Coke was number two, about 30, 36% or 35% of its total volume was contributed by those who, who consumed the three plus a day. The only brand that was higher in that metric was Mountain Dew. So Diet Coke was second, Mountain Dew was first, okay? Tracking on this, Irma? Absolutely. Okay. So here's the other thing is that when you're, really, when you're really surgical and precise about segmentation, really the only people we needed to be talking to were those heavy users. Because one's drinking four a day, we just want them to drink five. And the one drinking six, we want them to do seven. We're not going to get the one that's drinking one a month. So it doesn't matter if they don't like aspartame at all. So re re be focused about the segmentation when you're trying to move a business or brand. So anyway, I just wanted to throw those things out. Great story, Irma. What, I love that. Uh, just key nuance, what you're saying yeah. is get the folks who you already have and yes. connect, strengthen that connection with them even more. Correct. That's the, that's the headline. That yeah. is correct. That's correct. All right, cool. 
Uh, well, that was that was a good one. Ooh, that was a good. One. All right, that was. Normally, I say that stuff for the end, but I, I couldn't I couldn't wait. It was just. Too no, good. That, I'm glad you shared it. Too, it. I think that was great. Just too good. All right, LT. All right, Ermin. Next question. So, regarding technology and marketing, you have seen the role of technology really grow throughout your career. So, with that vantage point, can you tell us where you think marketers should lean in or best leverage tech versus areas that they should be leery? Um, so to your point, technology, like it is, it's the world in which we live in, right? It's marketing in a digital world. And, and this idea of digital marketing is, is such a misnomer. Um, I think that the, the, the most valuable role for technology is in regards to being able to personalize your message at scale. Mm -hmm. And the hard part for marketers in doing that, though, is what's the MarTech stack that really does that for you mm. and your business most effectively? And it's constantly evolving and changing. And it's right. so. Yes. It's some, it's like you can't stop, right? You have to develop a solution. When I was at Ronstadt, we had a sales force all throughout the country. We wanted each person to be able to personalize their social engagement in order to build their networks and revenue at the local level, while at the same time being able to centralize that messaging so our brand message would be consistent and it wouldn't be inefficiently created at all these points of contact. So we found the right solution to be able to do that. But then tomorrow, there's going to be a better solution that's right. going to get them to do it more. And, and so the challenge with today's marketers is how do you spend the time to build out what you need now, but also stay connected with what the new solutions are? And then at what point do you pivot to the next one? Because they're, it's, it's resource intensive to do it right. And then right. you're organization and deploying you know so that i think is the challenge marketers at the especially at the senior levels face today um because they're trying to set the right foundations in place for their their teams in order to drive as as much impact as possible and um so that's that's sort of the the question um, an answer, but the that you have to constantly be asking yourselves, I, I believe. I love that answer. And I do too. And, and maybe you know this, Irma, and, and I could be speaking uh, what I'm going to say. People might say, duh, we're doing that already, but I'm, I'm going to say it in this way. I know that certain CPG companies, and um, I, I would gather Coke would be part of this, have people who are dedicated on the marketing team to understand what are the technologies that we should be looking at it, that that's their job. And it's almost like an insights function. And I would say, if you don't have that, again, I'm talking about a big company here, within that sphere of the marketing team, you're really gonna be behind because you're always gonna be beholden to, as you point out, the next tech Silicon Valley wizard who's coming in and saying, you know, here's my product and it's, and it's great. And then you have to evaluate it in a, and sort of, again, what we were talking about, you always want to be proactive, not reactive, right? So if you have somebody who's already evaluating this, then they can be the arbiter of that. And you're not back on your heels. You're actually being proactive about it. So that would be something I think that really needs to happen. 
Yeah, and well, I think challenge based on my experiences, the dynamic between the CIO and the CMO and this gray space as to who really has um, not just the, the expertise, but then oftentimes you need IT resources to integrate this new market into your business. Mm -hmm. Getting into that roadmap as a priority is not simple when you think about the other demands within IT, but then you're hamstringing your marketing agenda to old, outdated right. uh, you know, uh, MarTech and very quickly you can see the impact of that. And that's even in the large organizations. Um, and actually, you know, it, it's probably easier to be nimble in some of the smaller organizations um, around this topic. Good point, good point. And, and then a lot of times in places at Co like Coca-Cola, they'll spend, you know, there'll be committees and untold amounts of resources and money are then locked into one of these technologies that's by the time it's implemented is already old. <laughs> yes, okay. It's obsolete. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we go to the next question, D? You got any follow-up? I do not. All right, Arma. Last of the five questions. No. Uh, what, what are you most proud of? Um, well, we already shout out to my kids, so I'll I'll take this professional for our, our yeah. uh, conversation today, but really um, when I left the Coca-Cola company to join the American Cancer Society, there was this component of the unknown. Um, you know, um, was I a great marketer? Was I a great Coca-Cola marketer, right? Because it took mm -hmm. the benefit of, of yeah. so many bright minds and, and the way you're literally on the cutting edge of what's happening all around you in, in many ways. And so um, I joined the American Cancer Society, bringing the ethos that, you know, of what I had learned uh, over all those years at uh, Coca-Cola. And ultimately it's, it's the same dynamic if you think about consumer engagement, right? The, the awareness, the engagement, the conversion, but now it was trying to get people to give to donate and or to mm -hmm. smoking, to go get their colonoscopy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, um, so this idea, I, I, the, and then what I found, and again, I, I, I love this little test. Like when I say the American Cancer Society, what do you think of? When I say Susan G. Komen, what do you think of? And yeah. when I say St. Jude's, what do you think of? And before you do any kind of research, you've sort of done your research right there. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, there's not emotion when you think about the Cancer Society. True. You can no. see the women in pink when I say Susan G. Komen, and you can see yeah. the, the, the child, you know, and going through chemotherapy that your heart goes yeah. And so yeah. what we found, though, through our consumer research was it was a dire situation. Like, people... Mm even necessarily think the cancer society they're like i think they do something around research and we yeah. like, yeah. oh gosh but we do so much right. yeah. and so it was the same mindset around getting people to what was clearly our point of difference and how mm -hmm. was that forward so it was the idea that the american cancer society was attacking from every angle we had a massive advocacy 
group that was looking to drive the right kinds of NIH funding and efforts at the national level to support cancer patients and cancer research. We had people at the, all in all the communities in terms of to support those who were going through um, cancer. We mm -hmm. did cutting edge research. We were uniquely positioned to convene people, but we were the only ones with a 24 seven hotline that somebody live would always answer when people needed support. We had centers, hope lodges near major cancer centers for people who didn't have the means where they could stay. So all of these proof points were lost in, oh, I think they do research. And so it was really a pride point for me to be able to bring together what I would sort of call a modern marketing organization, one that was really mm -hmm. adept at what was needed to break through in a digital mark, you know, marketplace or digital environment. So, you know, driving social search, um, mm -hmm. all other, um, you know, digital media, bringing um, the Cancer Society forward into Facebook and, and innovating and bringing new fundraising opportunities through social media, showing up in Spotify. That's where people spend time. That's where mm -hmm. your message needs to be. So it was tremendous, both in terms of building the organization and then the right message, and then mm -hmm. the right yeah, to make sure um, ACS was showing up the right way. Revenue that went back to the mission so that we could keep doing the great work, not just mm -hmm. that our team was doing because our revenue generation had to be much greater than our expense, but also then to, to be able to fund the work of the organization. And, and that's when I knew like, hey, I took that big leap and leaving North Avenue, but it was in the spirit of now driving this kind of impact. And um, I mm. feel proud of having done that and um, had that opportunity, really. Mm. Well, and let's face it, right? Like, you know, the, the, the famous story that, um, that uh, Steve Jobs told John Scully back in the day in Apple, do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life, you know? And you, you took the great learnings from Coke and applied it to the American Cancer Society, which is helping so many people. So that's just so cool, right? Yeah, it was, it was so amazing. And I was fortunate because of the nature of the Cancer Society. We actually got a letter one time from this gentleman. I remember his name, Donald McKay. And what he said was, you know, thank you for everything you're doing. It was around the holidays time period. And, um, you know, I've been watching on my TV and I saw this ad of this guy, he's like, who has cancer. And he's like, I used to have cancer. And the American Cancer Society, you know, what he did to help him. He's And this gentleman in his letter to us said, thank you for mm -hmm. the messages. It really means a lot. And thank you for what you're doing. Hmm. All my years of mm -hmm. I never got thanked for the no. part that we were doing or the message we were putting forward and the pride that people wanted to feel for this brand and this organization. But so it was latent. It was just there, ready to be tapped. Mm. Love that. That is a great story. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, Larry. Shall we move to the next segment? Let's do it.
All right, all right. What's poppin'? Irma, Key, what's poppin'? What's poppin'? Yeah, this is our chance to shout out, shout down, or simply air something happening in and around marketing today we think is good fodder for discussion. So, D, I'm gonna take this one first. You know I'm chomping at this one. Well, I know, I know. Let, let me just let me just say this now uh, before you go, Larry, because it's gonna be a good one. So, Irma, we never share our what's poppins with one another. Okay. But on this one, Larry said, "Yo, yo, 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 D, yo, D, I just need to chat with you about something." So we actually chatted about a couple things. So this is. I'm just curious as to how he's going to break this down. All right. Okay, come on, LT. All right, here we let's, go. Let's get it. Let's get it. Here we go. All right. So in case some of you missed it, big news happened in the beverage world this week. Uh, from Media Post and Industry Standard um, on Monday, quote, in buying the remaining 85% of body armor, the Coca-Cola company has acquired its way to the number two spot in the sports drink category just over three years from its initial investment in the brand. Coca-Cola said today it is paying $5.6 billion, yes, billion, in cash to secure full ownership of Body Armor, which was founded in 2011. Okay, as many of you brand nerds know, my team and I led the national launch of Powerade in the mid-90s, so this burned me up oh, in so many ways. With our launch, Coca-Cola, back in the day with our launch, Coca-Cola was the number two player in sports drinks going back to 1994 and just recently lost that status with Body Armor having a 15 share, this is today, and Powerade 13. In the late 90s, while we were still certainly behind Gatorade, we had garnered 40 plus shares in the C-Store channel on high CBI markets such as Florida. So this whole situation raises up something we have discussed internally amongst the brand positioning doctors and brands beats and vice. And now I am putting it out there with the great fortune of having Irma here with her great experience and success at Coca-Cola to air to the world. Irma, feel free to comment or stay mum. So back in the day, little history, more history here, Coca-Cola had a well-earned reputation for being the best marketers in the world. There is a secret hero though, to many of the marketing success Coke earned back in the day when, uh, from once we know. His name is Jim Emery. At Coca-Cola in the mid nineties through the beginning of the 2000s, marketers and many others at the Coca-Cola company were required to attend a workshop around brand positioning led by Jim Emery. I can safely say that Powerade's initial success does not happen if me and my Powerade team, and special shout out to Tim Allerin and Paravon, do not attend Jim's workshop. DC will speak on this too, but I know enough to say he would say the same about his success with Sprite. Full transparency. Right, exactly. Full transparency. Jim is retired and DC was one of Jim's star pupils we at Brand Positioning Doctors have tried to pick up where Jim left off. So back to Coke. I know people will correct me on this if I'm not right, but I believe since the Powerade launch, the only internal brand launch successes have been Dasani in 1999, the Simply brand, which is Simply Orange, Simply Lemonade, et cetera, from Coke Foods, which was launched in 01, and of course, Coke Zero launched in 05. The company has, been, has long been a distribution powerhouse. DC talks about this a lot, that the real secret formula is distribution where unfortunately many people in the world are closer to a Coke than they are to clean water. So back in the day, they were also great marketers. We were also great marketers, let's say a Coke. This $5.6 billion shows that they've waved the white flag. And this is my opinion on really being great marketers since they couldn't figure out how to unlock Powerade in 2021 and beyond to take it to the next level, just like DC did with Sprite back in the day where, where he was a distant number two to seven up. 
internally, they no longer have the marketing acumen to optimally, optimally position brands that ultimately emotionally connect with consumers. They haven't done it since, since 05. And by the way, Jim Emery stopped doing his workshops in early 2000s. Coincidence? What say you? Oh, Irma, we're going to hear from you first now. Oh, listen. Listen. Larry, Larry, Larry feel free to, you, you can, you know. Hey, hey. Larry is, he, he's, he's clapping. He's clapping at, at nope. KO. All right. All right, Irma, your thoughts. So, um, so it's interesting. Um, I had that as one of my what's popping. It not necessarily going the same direction you went, but the whole like <laughs> Armas was going to be more positive, Larry. <laughs> um, acquisition by Coke and this whole question around buy versus build, right? As I mm -hmm. think a lot of companies um, are facing that and the beverage business has changed so dramatic or so many businesses, food and beverage, but because there's so much venture capital, there's all of these new ideas and innovation that's out there started and nurtured. Should you, should you let that happen? And if you're good marketers, you're actually identifying which are the right bets to, to be making. Yep. I was fortunate to be a, a pupil in, in Jim Emery's class. And I, I remember being in that first floor auditorium yep. going through it and still have my um, little red book. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, that's right. And um, there is something really prolific with the simplicity of um, what what it means and if you can stay true to it. So um, I'm a a strong believer in that and have been fortunate to carry it along with me and, and, uh, along, you know, uh, along my path. Yeah. The connection you're making at Larry is, is, is like, um, I, I don't, I, I'd agree this space similar to the ready to drink coffee space is one that Coca-Cola has tried, um, and not been able to crack. Right. Yep. Um, there was the Planet Java, Coca-Cola Black, and I'd argue without any facts in all honesty, but the seltzer play that they're making into hard seltzers through Topo Chico will likely yeah. yep. not, you know, like, so there is an element where the marketing know-how is different today. The, the knowledge and scale that a Coca-Cola has possibly in this MarTech space that we were just talking about could be more of a powerhouse than what historically had been what, what made the company um, what it is today or what it some of the bright brightest things that they've done. So it's that the spirit of what got you here isn't what's gonna get you there. Mm -hmm. um, and the strategy going forward may just may land more in these innovative spaces around mm -hmm. smart acquisition and you know the sports drink category in particular has been an achilles heel for the company the the most prominent achilles heel if we go back to the idea of even sorting out the buy of gatorade um the the during the daft era 
which you can't, you know, you, you, there's no um, real answer, you know, to, but, but it may be that now their skill set is around acquiring the best and then putting it into not just the distribution network, but possibly MarTech network that can be unparalleled. Again, okay. hypothesis, hypothesis. Um, but I would say that I haven't seen, like what you said, any big, great gangbusters that have been built out of the Coca-Cola company, um, as you said, you know, in many years. But I haven't seen the Braves win the World Series in many years. <laughs> oh, nice save, nice save, nice save, Irma. So, right, find its way again. <laughs> I have a, a fact, a hypothesis, and a prediction. So here is the fact. Coke Zero is a line extension. Yep. If you take Coke Zero off the map, I can't think of a brand grown at the Coca-Cola company that is on fire. And I'm talking 10 years, maybe more, not yep. one. So that's a fact. Here's my hypothesis. You talked, Irma, about uh, you had a decision to make. Do I go to P&G, coming out of B-School, P&G, or do I go to Coke? And you said, how do you not go to the number one brand in the world? Yep. That is what a lot of folks thought at around the time, Irma, you and me and Larry and Jeff were going. It was the number one brand in the world. And by it attracted, by far, and it attracted the best talent in the world who wanted to work in the building and the buildings that had the best brands in the world. Yeah, that's not the case anymore. Right. Folks, now they want to go to Amazon or Tesla or Facebook. They want to do yeah, or start their yeah, start their own company. Okay, they don't want to go to a brand right now that's not that shining beacon on the hill. So yeah. I think part of the problem is got a different composition of talent now. Hate yeah. to say it, different composition of talent now. So that's my hypothesis. Now let me give you my prediction. Why are they buying and not building? They're not just buying a product. They're buying brands right. from people who 20 years ago would have been inside, but they're now outside. Right. So they're bringing, they're, 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 they're taking that intellectual efficacy in branding and saying, we ain't got it here, but we can buy it. My mm. prediction is this. 24 to 36 months, InBev comes in and goes, hello there, we want to build the total beverage company and we would like to buy y'all. And if and if that, if, if we, I consider myself still a co-person, if we don't have some killer brands, we can't, we can, then we can't sell for as much as we need to sell for. So my prediction, next 36 months, InBev buys Coca-Cola. Hot take, you heard it here. Wow. wow. Yeah, you, heard, you, heard it, you heard it here. So, so secure as many brands of value as possible, however you got to get them in order to drive up the purchase price. I think that's the strategy. Mm. But I ain't on the inside, so I don't know. All right. So that's, that's, my, that's my take on it. Uh, Larry, any responses to this before I go to mine? Just pop? a quick one. I, I think you're, 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 
yours is an excellent hot take. And it just bums me out, though, because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of positioning and real marketing acumen that is just lacking. And, and it's just a bummer to watch from the outside. I agree. Makes me sad. Me too. Yeah, makes me, makes me sad. And by the way, anyone listening to this, come on to the podcast and defend it. Say, yes. no, no, no. In the last 10 or 15 years, these are the brands we've done. These are their positions, all that. Defend it. Yep. Defend love it. Love to have yep. you. Yeah, lo love to have you. Okay, all right. Here's mine. I'm going to go through this uh, with a little bit of pace. We've talked this entire podcast about the difference between products and brands. So brand nerds, let me, let me break this down, all right? Companies and organizations, uh, they make products. Consumers make brands, all right? It's a difference. Companies make products, consumers make brands. Here's another difference. Products are things people need. Brands are things people want. I need toothpaste. I want Crest. So need versus want, all right? Next, brands make emotional connections with consumers. And one of the ways they do it are through taglines, or as my uh, brethren and sister in, the, uh, in Europe would say, strap lines. So Nike, just do it. Apple, think different. De Beers, a diamond is forever. So they have these strap lines that convince consumers, oh, that's why I need that. Now, let me go into the domain of politics. I don't care what your, what your proclivity is in politics here in America, but I do want to point out the difference between a product and a brand. Uh, Trump is a brand. Trump is a brand. MAGA, make America great again, is a tagline. Stop the steal is a tagline. Um, Republicans, they've got like a mantra. Less government, lower taxes. It's very clear what the Trump brand is and what the Republican brand is. Very, very clear. Why am I bringing that up? You went to school in Virginia, uh, Irma. There was a gubernatorial race, Republican won, Yonkin, riding on those brands, less so on Trump. He wasn't like, he wasn't like riding on the Trump MAGA bandwagon, but he also wasn't saying, hey, Trump's no good. He wasn't saying that because he understood the power of the brand. All right. So that's Glenn Yonkin. He wins in Virginia. Let's go to New Jersey. Uh, Phil Murphy wins by a hair. He's a Democrat. Why is that the case? Because the Democrats might have a litany of different products. I don't know what the hell the brand stands for. Nope. I know what Trump stands for. I know what the Republicans stand for. As a brand, I have no idea what the Democrats stand for. Larry and I talked about this yesterday. So while there might be policies that might be interesting, those are the interest, you know, the equivalent of products. I don't care about that. I want to know what the brands are. And I believe that is going to define the political culture in this country for the next 20 years. That's my what's popping. Your thoughts? Irma, you want to take that first or shall I? 
Oh, it seems like you're jumping at it. That one, go ahead. No, no, no. We we're hitting. We got the controversial ones going, and this. It's oh, this Irma, right? Um, start, start, I mean, you start hard in the comfy section. And <laughs> really hard start. What are we doing to you? Uh, so, from no, a marketing perspective, branding perspective, not not you know, the politics themselves, brand. This is clinical. We're not gonna. We're not gonna be advocating here. Um, no. So what? What D? What you're really saying is, and we use this in our brand nerds. We use this in our workshops. Um, one of the one of the uh, places that we use as a as a great uh, sort of metaphor for all of this is think of headphones. Um, Beats is a brand. Bose has a better product. So what you're saying, really, D, is in in this instance. Beats is the Republicans and Bose are the Democrats. Democrats have a lot of products. We have no idea what the brand is. And one nope. could argue a lot of really good products, a lot of really good things for people. No one knows what the brand is, right? And, and that's really the synopsis of what you're saying. Well, and, and I think another example that comes to my mind is Samsung and Apple. Um, yeah. In small interactions, I interact with someone who has a Samsung um, phone. It's a, unbelievable in regards to, oh my gosh, the photos they took, how it works. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I've already joined the Apple bandwagon. I'm part yes. of it. And, and the idea, the, the, the difference that you're bringing up, DC, is what are the switching costs? Like mm -hmm. yep. the switching point. are the challenge because over this time, however long it becomes that I feel, hey, Apple's not really delivering, like, gosh, yeah. and the Delta becomes bigger and bigger. That's yeah. then going to make the switching costs seem minimal compared to, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go with the Samsung and I can deal with a hybrid laptop and phone. And then over time, Maybe I've, I've transitioned fully. That's, I think, the politics peril in some mm. senses. I think yep. about um, what's going on with the two parties, because I absolutely agree with you from a marketer's perspective. There is such a lure to what the Republicans have simplified. Yep. And simplified. That's great. Join the brand. Um, and you just buy products. And, and, and I think about that as a voter who went to vote yesterday, or was it two days ago? And, yeah. and, and I was like, it was, it was hard um, in, in many ways because I, I needed to peel back things to make sure I was clear on what I was voting for. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm, relatively sophisticated in regards to my desire to be informed when I show up at that voting booth. Mm -hmm. And with general America, that's not necessarily the case as we, we know from our consumer research. And so you've got to make it easy and appealing for people to want to join your brand very much so. So well said, easy mm -hmm. and appealing to join your brand. I love that. That yeah. is beautiful. Beautifully said. Nothing. Yeah. All right, so is it my turn? I'm gonna make turn. Go ahead. on you, it's on you. So here's what's popping for me is um, Meta. I um, I think it's- 
Um, really interesting how tech companies are creating broader opportunity by the creation of this mother brand. Yeah. And in this case, I think it's almost to say, ooh, this one's starting to get a bit tarnished. Let's tuck it under yeah. this. Yeah. Size of it's bigger, but it goes against everything that typically you would think in regards to brand architecture and brand portfolio, because you have a brand that has such strong, massive user base mm -hmm. and loyalty, even if there are these issues, it's the kind of thing that it's not really impacting the, their core to then say, oh, but we're going to create this real focus on this bigger picture. So people might not, you know, it, they'll move away from it. And I think that there's, you know, there, there's some learning in there. And if you think about that in the context of Google and Alphabet and there's this mm -hmm. was driven by different pressures. Yeah. It's changing the dynamic of the role of, of brand. Brands are still important, but I think they're creating a new model around how brand architecture is, which typically had been, you know, sort of your, your master brand or your core and, and sub sub brands or a hybrid or, you know, or, or separation. So what do you guys think? I'm curious. D, what's your, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Really good subject and timely. Excellent. What we learned from, from Jim Emery, Jimbo, I call him Jimbo. That's my, that's my guy. There are three brand strategy options and only three brand strategy options when it comes to a company. Break it down. Yep. Either one, you're going to be an Uber brand. Yeah. That's like Nike. It's Nike, 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 football, basketball, uh, uh, what, what, whatever the sport is, soccer, that's all Nike. The second option is an Uber brand with sub-brands. You alluded to this, Irma, that's like Toyota. So you've got the Uber brand Toyota at the top, and then you've got Prius and Tacoma and Camry and Corolla. Those sub-brands have the elbow room to have their own um, um, positioning space, but they draw upon the Uber brand. So that's the second. The third are solo brands. That's Procter & Gamble. They frankly don't care if you, if, if you know they own Gillette and then they, they do Tide and... Uh, the other, they, they don't care about that. They let all of these brands stand on their own. These are the three options, period. There are no more. That's it. Uh, and so as it relates to Meta, I need to see it play out, Irma and LT, to see, are they setting Meta up to ultimately be an Uber brand where everything's going to be Meta, Meta, Meta? Or is it going to be Meta and they're going to let these sub-brands, Facebook, Instagram, except WhatsApp, maintain their space, but draw upon uh, the, the, the meta brand. I, it's going to be one of those two. Uh, right now, it feels like it's the second Uber brand meta that draws that, that didn't have the sub brands. But here's the thing that's interesting about it. The sub brands are more powerful than the Uber brand. Yep. So that it's going to be interesting. How do they handle the Uber brand with such well-known sub-brands so that, that's what i want to know 
So that's that's my response to your what's popping, which I love. Love your what's popping. Love it, love it. And and just to be super clear for the brand nerds out there, if you don't know, Facebook announced uh, a few weeks ago that they're coming out with a new corporate name named Meta. Is it Metaverse or just Meta? Um, okay. okay. So Meta. Mm. And what I find really fascinating, Dee, I love your question. And, and again, Irma, so great that you that you pulled this one out, is that just a couple of years ago, most people didn't know, and especially young people, I would quiz my, my when I was coaching basketball, I would quiz sometimes my um, kids and my son's friends. Do you know, do you know who owns Instagram? No, because they're all on IG, right? And when yeah. you tell them it's Facebook, they sort of cringe, right? They go, oh, really? Like they didn't yeah. know that. And about 18 months ago, if you guys remember, they started to say, hey, we're Facebook. And they started to integrate the Facebook name into Instagram, which made no did, sense. Yes. Because again, yeah. because of what they did, that was not a good thing for the people who are, who, who are down with Instagram, right? So yeah. now going to Irma's point, I wonder if they're just trying to deflect from the, from the baggage of Facebook to sort of have an overarching company name. So then it's the opposite now. So Instagram can sort of live on its own because it's part of Meta, right? And whatever new offerings they have, so they're, they don't have the baggage of Facebook. Oh, that's interesting, Larry. I just want to build on that real quick. So what they were doing, this, this is brand strategy, is they were playing Facebook as the Uber brand right. or Meta, Meta brand, Meta brand, right. and then they were using the sub brands to go powered by Facebook, blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. So now that, that Facebook is kind of funky right. as the Meta brand, they're dropping that sucker down one that's level right. and saying, we're going to go with Meta up here. Yeah, that's what they're that's doing. That's where Irma was going, right, Irma? That's what yeah. you were really... Yeah, right. And, and, but Alphabet almost took a proactive approach, sort of seeing what was coming because yes. they have a pretty strong Google like portfolio, right? Like yeah. Nike. Yeah. Yeah. Across everything. And yeah. then they create Alphabet partly because of the political pressures. Like it sort of makes you feel like, hey, somebody's sort of big. If anything, yeah. today, what they knew. They might not have done the Uber brand strategy because it might not have seemed like that they're so massive and they wouldn't be dealing with the FTC, like all these right. um, issues, possible not not literally not dealing with them, but yeah, 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 yeah. Jarring because you wouldn't have Google domains, you wouldn't have Google jobs, you wouldn't have Google, like everything. Right. Um, but that's where you have some small pockets of where they keep ways unique, you know, because they have Google Maps. And so, but but I, I think that there's, I think the principles that you talked about that Jim spoke about years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I yeah, do. things are, are being done differently. Like who would have thought if you had such a strong Uber brand, you would put a brand on top of it. Right. Yes. Like why would you create Alphabet when Google was so powerful? Yeah. But, the, the brand, I mean, like the role of brand as part of it, it has has a has some new perspective. It's not only consumer engagement. Yeah. No, there's a regulatory component to it, and I think that's the answer. I think yeah. if you, you really argue what Alphabet is now, again, for folks who don't know, Alphabet is the holding company 
that Google, that used to be Google and they changed the name to Alphabet. That goes back a few years. And now you, you, I could argue they're actually employing the P&G strategy, right? Because YouTube is its own entity. Uh, right. There's a, I bet you most kids out there don't know that YouTube is owned by Alphabet slash Google. So. Yeah, so, so there's, uh, I think some really new, unique new things happening in this space of brand architecture, portfolio architecture. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's pretty uh, like insightful and I'm not sure where it's going to take us to your point DC we'll, we'll have to see how they yeah. play it I haven't seen it but I saw just before joining um, our conversation that they've dropped a campaign to support Meta so that oh I'm going to check this out so we'll, we'll have to see what, what that has in store so yeah. I'll, I'll say this as we transition uh, uh, to, the, to the close I can't believe we're already here yeah. Um, what's well known is uh, are two things in marketing: B two C, business to consumer, and B two B, business to business. We all know this, okay? But maybe what we're learning through Alphabet, more proactively done, and through Meta, more reactively done, is there is a new form of marketing that is emerging, and it's called B two P. P as in Paul, and that's business to politics. Mm -hmm. This is another leg on a three stool of marketing that for tech companies, they need to be as adept at marketing to the politicians as they are to consumers and other businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of, cool. yeah. Have to see what happens. All right. This is, this is awesome. Irma, you've been amazing. This is oh, so great. So much. It's so great talking to you guys. Get, get like talk, talk the brand strategy, marketing. That's awesome. That's Do fun. you want to take your learnings first, or shall I? Would you please, my brother? Okay. So, uh, man, there's so many learnings, but I'm going to try and keep it keep it concise here. So, uh, I've got three main ones. Number one, people and relationships really matter. That's a quote from Irma. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's so true and that there's an art to being able to bring people along and that's something that one needs to be not only aware of and conscious of but really understand that's the eq to really understand yourself and how you can improve in that area so that's number one so we talk about we talked about this the next number two throughout this podcast this great conversation with irma you've been amazing it's about the brand, not the product. And as Irma said, you must make your brand easy and appealing for whomever the target audience is. That's number two. And number three, as a business person or in any walk of life, you know what? You're much better served to play offense. The best, as DC alluded to, the best defense is a great offense. And so that's, make, that's having people respond to you rather than vice versa. I think that's a big part of the Republican Party success, as DC alluded to. So as a as a as a business person out there, play offense, not not defense, and go make something happen. Just like Irma did even with her Asian American marketer group and all the other volunteer organizations that she's involved with. Go make it happen. Play offense, not defense. Those are mine. Those are great, Larry. That's awesome. Irma? 
I can't remember when in, in our uh, podcast lifetime that I began to really take a joy out of getting to know the human being before me on a Zoom and asking myself questions. Why did they do what they did and why do they do what they do? What's, what, what makes this person tick? And uh, while I'm not a psych psychologist, I play one on Zoom. Uh, <laughs> I use this as a time, our conversations as a time to make connections. I'm gonna attempt to make a connection, um, some connections with you now. Your, uh, your parents were immigrants. Uh, my parents were not. Um, my people came over here on slave ships. But I have many friends who, have, uh, who are from immigrant families. Here's what I've learned from them. Immigrants are grateful. Like I got a new home. I got a new opportunity. Immigrants work hard. I'm here. I've taken this leap. I'm going to work my ass off to make this work. Immigrants like doing the work the right way. You don't want to cut any corners. Yep. No. What, what are the rules here? Okay, yeah, we want to do we want to do it this way. This is why we came here. We want to do it the right way. And why do they want to do that? Is in part for themselves, Irma, but in large part for their families. Not just the immediate family members, but for the generations to come. This is why immigrants come to this country. This is yeah. what I have learned. All right, tracking? All right. Your father was an entrepreneur. He was hardworking. You said that. Your mother was a librarian. Librarians are curious. You cannot find books, Irma, unless you're curious about what's in the damn book and where the book is. Mm -hmm. So there's a curiosity. So your, your parents had this hardworking nature, gratefulness, and curiosity that they then gave to you. How do I know that? We were talking earlier about relationships. I said politics. You said, no, no, relationships. And you said, I like to find some of the commonalities. That's because you're curious, Irma, and you learned that as a child. Number two, Whenever we said anything that might have kind of seemed a little negative, you turned it into positive. You did that because you learned how to be grateful as a child. The third thing, we said, who are you most proud of? You didn't talk about some, you know, some uh, uh, person that you thought of this. Uh, actually, no, you did, you did do a, 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 a work thing there. But an earlier question, who has been the, had the most influence in your career? You said Manish, your husband, family, family. All right. I say all that to say this, Irma. There's an archetype, largely Western archetype, of a successful executive or business person. It is a bold, brash, genius, lone wolf, white man, that, that's the archetype. You see it everywhere, social media, uh, traditional media, 
there are these stories about these dudes and how great and wonderful they are. Irma, you represent a different archetype given to you by your mother and by your father. Being grateful, working hard, being talented, being saged and being reserved. So what I've learned from you, Irma, is that there are opportunities for different archetypes to be highlighted, shown, and celebrated, and you're one of them. That's what I've learned from you, Irma. Wow, that's heavy, man. See, Irma, you didn't know this podcast was about giving you your flowers, which you're not, not comfortable <laughs> with, right? <laughs> I so appreciate um, that and, and definitely this opportunity. Um, when I had jotted down as we were talking and it's along the same lines, ironically, uh, you know, Larry and DC, what, what you're, you've talked about, but what really spoke to me, particularly as I'm in this um, particular, the, in this new chapter in my career, that's mm -hmm. more, open and not as defined because mm -hmm. DC that's I've been defined by this is sort of what you do for for some yeah. and it's the three things that really spoke to me were trust your instinct mm -hmm. um really know that both in the work that you're doing but then also in the life that you're living right um it's it's important and that emotional connection matters Again, in terms of the brands that you're working mm -hmm. with, people that matter to you in your life. And then also just be you and mm -hmm. show up and be who you need to be to, to really flourish um, both um, in your work and whatever that workplace might be, as well as then in your life, because that's when you're really your happiest. And I think the experiences over my career and each of yours, I'm sure tells you the same thing. And, and this has been a real privilege, real opportunity for me. And I, and, um, I really th thank you so much for, for having me join. Um, I didn't really knew, know that I had the title of brand nerd until really yeah on with your podcast. And I was like, I really identify with this. I love that. <laughs> It juices you and it really jazzes you. And I appreciate um, the two of you nurturing that, um, not just through this podcast, but through the work you do. And, um, and thanks for having me. Wow. What a great close, right? Thank Irma, you've been fantastic. We thank you. Uh, we feel privileged to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. With that, I'm going to the show close. Thanks for listening to Brands, Beats and Bites, recorded virtually on Zoom in a production of KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM radio and worldwide at kzsu.org. Executive producers are Jeff Shirley, Daryl DC Cobbin, myself, Larry Taman, Joseph Anderson, Jay Kate, and Tom Dioro. Father. Yes, sir. And if you are listening to us via podcast, it would be great if you can please rate and review us. Additionally, if you do like the show, please subscribe and share. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to next time where we will have more insightful and enlightening talk about marketing with another great business leader as our guest. Mm -hmm.
If you wish to contact us, our email is brandsbeatsbytes at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that is brands, B-R-A-N-D-S, beats, B-E-A-T-S, bytes, B-Y as in yellow, T-E-S at kzsu.stanford.edu. Thank you.